I think the more international attention and support is given to peace and stability here in Taiwan Strait, uh, the more deterrence this provides Taiwan. And in effect, the stronger the case for peace and stability becomes here in the region. Hello again, and welcome to Perspectives with Nilo, a regular podcast that brings you news and views from around the world. You can find all of our past episodes on our blog site at pwnilo.com or by searching for Perspectives with Nilo on your favorite podcast app. In this episode, we bring you part two in our mini-series on Taiwan's 2024 presidential election, and we focus on the ruling Democratic Progressive Party and their presidential candidate, William Lai, or Lai Qingde. As we mentioned in the introduction to our previous episode, this election outcome will likely have profound implications for Taiwan, as it will set the tone for how authoritarian China, who claim Taiwan as their sovereign territory, will advance their expansionist agenda in the future. The Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, were founded in 1986, a year before the end of martial law. They are one of the two major parties in Taiwan, the other being the KMT or Guomindang. We will focus on the KMT's presidential candidate in the next episode. The DPP has traditionally been associated with economic innovation, safeguarding human rights, as well as promotion of Taiwanese nationalism and identity. Their insistence that Taiwan is a de facto sovereign state infuriates China. The incumbent DPP president, Tsai Ing-wen, is the country's first female president and was re-elected for a second term in January 2020 with a historic 8 million plus votes, the largest number of votes for a presidential candidate in the country's era of direct presidential elections. Presidential candidates in Taiwan are not allowed to run for a third term, so current Vice President William Lai has been unanimously selected by the DPP as the party's 2024 presidential candidate. Our guest in this episode is Vincent Chow. He is the Director of International Affairs for the DPP, as well as a Taipei City Councillor and spokesperson for William Lai's campaign. We met him on November 14th to talk about William Lai's background, his policies on energy, foreign relations and much more. Uh, so Vincent, it's uh, great to meet with you and chat with you and you're very welcome to the podcast. No, thanks for coming to Taiwan. I think it's great to have you guys here reporting on Taiwan. Um, and there's a lot to share. We are in a full throne election right now and soon to be um, uh, election day, basically. So happy to have you here and happy to answer any questions you have. Okay, thank you very much. And it'd be great to talk with you a little bit about uh, your the DPP's candidate for the upcoming uh, 2024 presidential election. Can you tell us a little bit about William Lai's background uh, before he entered politics? William Lai has an interesting background. I think most presidential candidates, as well as presidents in Taiwan, have come from very much legal backgrounds or have PhDs in various studies and so forth. Now, he's a former medical doctor, but he grew up really in challenging circumstances. He grew up in a small town about an hour outside Taipei. Um, it was a coal mining town, and his father was a coal miner who unfortunately had passed away in a mining accident when he was very young. So he was brought up by a single mother um, with a number of siblings. And I think that informed his life perspectives. I mean, he often says that his biggest, um, his the biggest legacy that his father left him was being able to appreciate people who grow up in challenging circumstances. So this idea of a more equitable society is firmly ingrained within his philosophy of life, essentially, yeah. And he entered politics uh, around the mid-90s, I believe. Is that right, in, in Tainan? 
Oh, that's right. Actually, he entered politics because of the Taiwan Strait crisis in 1995, when China had started lobbying missiles over the Taiwan Strait in response to Taiwan's first ever direct、um, presidential election. And China's attempt was to intimidate the voters of Taiwan to vote for somebody else.、Um, uh, unfortunately for China, unfortunately for Taiwan. Um, the pro-democracy candidate,、uh, Mr. Li Denghui,、uh, won the election, but this inspired his entry into politics. So he had again been a medical doctor in the prestigious National Tsinggong University Hospital in Tainan.、Uh, but after seeing China's actions, he said that, "Well, I need to do more to protect this country I love," and he decided to、um, hang up his medical coat and enter politics. And he became a Tainan mayor. He was Tainan mayor from 2010 to 2017. Well, he started at a very local level. So he ran for、um, national assembly member, and then as a member of the legislature, and then as mayor of Tainan. And after mayor of Tainan, he became our prime minister. So he really kind of put himself through the paces. Successive roles from a local to a central government level. Now, obviously, he's vice president and running for president. And、uh, for, for this、uh, upcoming election,、uh, he was the only DPP candidate.、Uh, in other words, there were no DPP contenders or for any earlier primaries or anything like that.、Uh, what does that say about、uh, his level of support in the party? I think people coalesced quite early around the fact that he would be.、Um, The DPP nominee for this year's candidacy, as you say, there was no other nominee that ended up challenging him for either the chairperson seat as or the presidential、uh, nominee, and I think that represents, to a large degree, the DPP is very united around the idea of his candidacy, as well as his vision for Taiwan. So there is no schism, as we say, in the DPP compared to many of the opposition parties we see today. And what would you say are his、uh, key policies, the things he is very passionate about? It's actually quite interesting because his views on politics are very much informed again by his upbringing, and so, you know, on, on the foreign affairs and national security front, he's committed to this idea of consistency and pragmatism, and that he has inherited from President Tsai Ing-wen, which over the past eight years has really shown the international community that Taiwan is not only a responsible stakeholder, but we are a vigorous advocate for peace and stability here in the Taiwan Strait. So, President Tsai Ing-wen has engaged in his policy essentially boils down to. We're、uh, not. We're going to stand firm to our principles, and we're not going to provoke. But neither are we going to back down. And so this basically revolves around around the idea of democracy, and that we're going to hold fast to this idea of Taiwan as a full and open democracy, and we're not going to back down、uh, in response to Chinese provocations and intimidation. But neither are we going to intimidate、uh, to provoke.、Uh, neither are we going to rock the boat, so to say. And that is basically what. Steady and principled leadership is, and President Tsai Ing-wen has engaged in that in the past eight years. And President Vice President Lai Jingde has made quite clear that these are policies、uh, and a general philosophy that he will continue、um, if elected. I mean, he's made quite clear that on Cross Strait, the status quo will be preserved,、um, that there will be a continued adherence to the four commitments、uh, under President Tsai Ing-wen, which is essentially encapsulates the status quo. Um, as well as the idea that he will continue to strengthen not only our military deterrence but also our partnerships with like-minded democracies around the world. Now, I think where he is really going to、um, make a big mark is on the domestic arena. I've talked about foreign affairs and national security for a bit, but I think his past experiences really prepare him、um, to resolve problems and to and to solve the issues that many Taiwanese people here face today. This idea of、um, salaries not keeping pace with the cost of living 
high housing prices, this idea of, of bridging the divide on education, um, about taking care of our young people, making sure people have the confidence uh, to start families. I mean, all of these are part of his policy agenda, which has been called the National Project of Hope. And the National Project of Hope precisely aims uh, to make Taiwan um, a better place, uh, not only for um, our young people, but um, but ensure that people across Taiwan are well taken care of by government. So um, again, all of this is informed by his quite unique upbringing, which is we really haven't seen kind of in the political spectrum in the past. Okay, one of the I guess one of the other domestic challenges that a lot of countries have are, is power and energy, and you know the green transition and so on. And uh, historically, the DPP have supported uh, what you have called a 2025 nuclear-free homeland, and. Uh, I believe that some recent comments by, by William Lai suggested that the potential reactivation of nuclear power plants in an emergency situations might be uh, back on the table. In other words, in the case of a potential blockade by China, fossil fuel supplies uh, may not last forever and there has to be some contingency. So can you clarify for us uh, what is William Lai's position on nuclear power and uh, what are his plans for Taiwan's transition to green energy while being resilient against blockades? Well, I think it's so, two points. The first one is that um, it's it's a done deal. I mean, the fact that we will be a nuclear-free uh, country soon, and this has been a policy that was started under previous um, Thai administration or, or current Thai administration, but will be continued under a law administration in the future. And this was a decision made after the Fukushima disaster in Japan. I mean, myself, I was a journalist back then, and it was a, basically a cross-political support for this idea that we would transition away from nuclear. I mean, the construction of the fourth nuclear power plant was halted during the previous KMT administration, not during the DPP administration. So this really had uh, bipartisan consensus, um, and we will continue this move towards a nuclear-free homeland. Now, at the same time, however, the second point is that I don't think any government would take options away from itself, particularly in a crisis scenario, which we hope never takes place. No. But for example, if uh, God forbid there is a crisis scenario. I think all options on the table to ensure a stable power supply. And of course, our nuclear power plants would not be dismantled, but mothballed for that purpose. Now, in terms of the green transition, this is very interesting because um, this is something. So nuclear power used to account for about 8 to 10 percent of our power mix. Now, that has almost been entirely uh, that has been entirely replaced and then some by renewable energy under the time administration. So. Um, our new renewable energy um, production is over 10% right now, up from like, you know, the zero point something percent we saw about 10, a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And that will continue under a lie. And so the hope is that, well, the plan is that we will um, reach about 60 to 70% renewable energy by 2050. And that would pave the way for um, carbon neutrality by the same time period. Uh, so while under President Tsai, uh, the compulsory military service term for Taiwanese uh, has been increased uh, from four months to a year, starting in 2024, uh, critics say that Taiwan's military still needs a lot of improvement. Does uh, Vice President Lai have plans to address the critics on this topic? Well, absolutely. I, I think nobody disputes that President Tsai Ing-wen is um, taking the right approach on our defense. I mean, let me give a couple examples. For example, our defense spending has gone up 1.78% to about 2.5%. Conscription has gone back from four months back to 12 months. We've engaged in a sustained transition to asymmetric, utilizing Taiwan's geographic advantages to pursue um, agile, survivable, cost-effective 
capabilities. I mean, we've engaged in effective reforms for our reserve system as well as um, 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 the training program regimens for our new trainees. I mean, all of this has been um, hallmarks of the Thai administration. Now, Lai will continue that. I mean, all of this will be continued with urgency because we do these things not because we want war. I mean, far from it, uh, exact opposite. We do these things so that China, our biggest military threat, never feels that they have the confidence that they require to engage in a military contingency scenario over the Taiwan Strait. So we do all of this to avert war, to deter war. And this is precisely what Lai Xingde will continue in his next four to eight years in government if elected. So there will be additional attention on uh, improving the, the military then? Absolutely. I think the general trend lines that you've seen over the past eight years, which again are inclusive of everything from budget to training to conscription, will be continued under a Lai administration. And some announcements have uh, been made about uh, partnership with the U.S. and troops going to the U.S. for training. Is that part of the strategy? So the U.S. has a long-standing partnership on security issues with Taiwan that stretches back decades uh, since the passage of the Taiwan Relations Act in 1979. I was a former diplomat stationed in D.C. and the the breadth and scope of our um, security partnership with the U.S. Is, has been very consistent over past years, and it has, um, I think, increased both in the scope and frequency of exchanges in recent years because of the increase from the threat um, of the PRC. Now, with that in mind, of course, I think we will continue to see sustained growth in our security partnership with the United States in the interest of keeping peace and stability here. On the topic of, of relations with China, then, as you mentioned, my understanding is that the CCP refuses to talk to the DPP unless you agree to the 1992 consensus or renounce Taiwan independence, which is one of your party's core values. On the other hand, uh, the CCP and the PLA continue to ramp up pressure, sending, as you mentioned, more and more aircraft into your uh, ADs, warships around your waters, military drills around the island, cutting cables to your outline islands, incessant cyber attacks, all the time building up the pressure. Uh, so my question is, uh, what is William Lai's strategy to diffuse this increasingly tense situation? Well, let me say to start, um, the DPP charter does not have um, pro-independence as one of its core ten tenants. Um, there was a resolution passed in 1999, the Resolution on Taiwan's Future, and this had replaced prior conceptions of Taiwan's, um, either this idea of independence or else, with the idea that Taiwan is already a free, um, open, um, sovereign, and independent country um, called the Republic of China, essentially. And this is the status quo. I mean, this is the idea that's firmly enshrined within our constitution itself. So um, either, um, whether it's President Tsai Ing-wen or uh, Vice President Lai ching now, I think both adhere to this idea of the status quo. And the status quo will be continued under future DPP administration, which again, means that Taiwan is already a sovereign independent country, there's no need, simply no need to redeclare independence and our full more name is the Republic of China. So that's to start. Now, with this in mind, I think we have to understand and appreciate that it is not Taiwan who has changed um, the, the baseline over the past eight years. I mean, many people talk about the visit of Speaker Pelosi mm -hmm. to Taiwan, and China had reacted very, very strongly to that. I mean, they've engaged in military exercises, missile tests, economic sanctions, and so forth. But then we have to also keep in mind that past speakers had come to Taiwan before. I mean, in the 1990s, New Gingrich, Speaker of the House, had come to Taiwan. China, I think, had one or two sternly worded statements out. They did not engage in economic sanctions, military exercises, and so forth. So what changed? 
I mean, certainly Taiwan didn't change. Certainly the U.S. hasn't changed. I mean, speakers had come in the 1990s, but China's changed. And so we have to realize and understand that um, as we talk about the evolution of not only cross-strait relations, but really the geostrategic situation we see in the Indo-Pacific today, China's changed immensely. China's ambitions have changed. China's leadership has changed. China's um, basically view about um, their role in the world has changed immensely. And that is what we should be prepared for. But it is cranking up the tension. And so my question really is, you know, how do you diffuse that tension? How do you take the wind out of the sails so that, you know, is, things aren't on a knife edge or appearing to be on a knife edge all the time? Well, I think principled cross-strait leadership, like I talked about. I mean, we're going to stand our ground. We're going to hold firm to our principles, our values. But at the same time, we're not going to provoke. We're not going to intimidate. We're not going to respond in a way that escalates tensions. That's, first of all, basic principle. But really, most of all, um, what we can do to deter conflict from taking place revolves around two central tenets. The first one is ensuring sufficient defense deterrence. Defense deterrence is absolutely key. And this is why, again, defense spending has gone up reserve training has been reformed and so forth. But the second issue is international partnerships. I mean, Taiwan is a country of 23 million people. China is 1.3 billion people. I mean, I don't think any country, I, these are pretty lopsided odds, you know. Yeah. Um, but if we can stand together with democracies ranging from Ireland to Europe, to the United States, to Japan, Australia, democracies around the world, and with the realization that Taiwan does stand on the front lines, as does Ukraine, as does many other democracies, um, in terms of resisting authoritarian expansionism, um, I, I think the better off Taiwan becomes. I think the more international attention and support is given to peace and stability here in Taiwan Strait, uh, the more deterrence this provides Taiwan. And in effect, the more the, uh, the more the stronger the case for peace and stability becomes here in the region. Do you think uh, potential projects like the CCP announced Taiwan Fujian Development Plan, which they recently announced, are sincere attempts by the CCP to find a way forward? Or is there something more sinister in there? <laughs> I think um, China's actions on cross-trade and the word sincerity normally don't go well together. And I mean, I'll put it this way. Their ambitions towards Taiwan could not be more clear. I mean, um, President Xi Jinping has launched a new era of um, on Taiwan, this white paper, um, I think about a year and a half ago, that lays out very, very clearly, I mean, their ambitions towards Taiwan, which is that unification is the only way forward, peacefully if possible, but by force if necessary. And everything they do on Taiwan should be seen through that context. So regardless of whether we're talking about this, this test case in Fujian province, or um, the Boral Forum, where they try to um, have many political heavyweights from Taiwan go over, or this media gathering that they hold on an annual basis where they invite Taiwanese media outlets, or their local exchanges. I mean, all of that should be seen through the prism of China doing the things that they feel they must do to achieve political outcomes. Um, and that's not to say that these exchanges must be opposed to by nature, but it means that we must be clear about their intentions and we must have clarity about what they plan to do and respond accordingly to that. And what, in view, your view, would they need to do to start re-establishing trust? What would the Chinese need to do? Yeah. What would the PRC need to do? Well, first of all, I think what would be helpful is if they agreed to reopen dialogue between our semi-official bodies. So we have this uh, body called SEF, the Straits Exchange Foundation. They have their body called ARATS, the Association for Relations Across the Taiwan Strait. And these are a semi-official body, so they don't, they're not government bodies, uh, agencies, but they in the past have been responsible for conducting or at least having exchanges across the strait and restarting 
that level of dialogue would be good. I mean, Vice President Leitinger has himself said that there are many areas that we could potentially cooperate. I mean, we face a common threat from natural disasters. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are very, there's a series of low-level cooperation on, on, for example, Coast Guard, um, law enforcement, and so forth. And, I mean, just having many of these exchanges start, I think, would be helpful. When it comes to trade, uh, some governments around the world are advocating a de-risking and diversification of trade with authoritarian regimes like the CCP uh, because of their economic coercion tactics. I noticed that Taiwan's total trade with China is in the region of about 25%. Uh, In terms of economic security, is this a concern? And if it is, uh, what does William Lai plan to do about that? It's absolutely a concern because 25% excludes Hong Kong. If you put Hong Kong into it, in the past, it's about 40, 41%, and it's gone down slightly to about 36, 37% in, in, in the past year or so. So, I mean, we're a liberal economy. I mean, we're a free and open society. Uh, government cannot tell businesses who they can or cannot do business with, I mean, aside from sanctioned countries like North Korea and so forth. So we have to provide the right incentives for market diversification. And this is precisely what President Tsai Ing-wen has tried to do over the past eight years. She started with the new southbound policy, which is uh, restarting our trade investment relationships with Southeast Asian countries. Um, we've continued on to building, for example, trade agreements with the United States. The 21st Century Trade Initiative is the most significant trade agreement we've signed with the U.S. since 1979. We've engaged with the UK. We've engaged with Canada. We're just in the final steps of finalizing an investment agreement with Canada, which would go leaps and bounds in encouraging bilateral investment. So these are the precise measures we need to take. We need to create trade incentives um, for so our businesses can think about new opportunities away from the Chinese market. And this will be continued under the Lai administration. In regards to the upcoming election, uh, currently polls are showing William Lai in the lead. However, there's talks about a potential of a pan-blue alliance between the KMT and the TPP. If the KMT and the TPP were to agree a successful alliance agreement, uh, would that concern you? I think not only myself, but most Taiwanese people are tired about hearing about this alliance because it's been on the cups of a breakthrough for the past two, three months now. And every day there's um, new shenanigans that could pop up. Um, regardless of this person saying this or that person saying that. And I mean, again, it's a marriage of convenience and not a marriage of values. And that, again, I think is the biggest problem with this so-called alliance because they had come together to try to fuse a policy platform and they realized they disagreed on just as many platforms as they agreed on. And so I think many of the Taiwanese people are tired of politics in general. Like they want to see governance. They want to see good governance. They want to see policies. They want to see a roadmap and an action plan and vision for the future. And these are the things that we've been trying to do um, throughout this election. Now, obviously, I'm a partisan voice here, but I do think that I represent many Taiwanese people who say that they're tired about hearing uh, about this marriage of convenience. And regardless if they come together or not, I think that's beside the point. People want to see a competition of policies and values. We are hearing also, though, that the TPP is attracting the younger demographic, which in the past would have uh, supported the DPP. Uh, Does that concern William Lai? And again, uh, how can he reclaim their support if it's true? Well, I mean, yes, I I think um, it's true that the youth vote used to overwhelmingly support the DPP. Now, we've been in power for eight years. The DPP is seen as a lot more... establishment than it was eight years ago when it was a party of, you know, more rebels and 
reformists. Um, but that, you know, that's that's the burden of governance, uh, and you have to deal with it. Now, I think William Lai has made it a priority to reach out to young people, and we're engaged in three different tracks to win back the youth vote. The first track is that outreach. So of all the presidential candidates, so there are four major presidential candidates today, William Lyme has engaged in the most um, university town halls, university um, forums. He's reached out to the most young people. I mean, he holds gatherings with young people here every day, listen to concerns, talk with people, exchange ideas. Number two is policy. He has the most comprehensive policies for young people. I mean, his very first policy was on reducing the educational divide between private and public colleges and universities. I mean, throughout his National Project of Hope, his policy platform, I would say probably close to half of his policies are geared towards making life better for young people, whether in terms of education, housing, so forth. The third part is values. And I think more and more young people are realizing that the opposition candidates simply don't represent the next generation of values that we should hold and, and appear to hold as townies. For example, second place runner-up right now in the polls is Cohen's a former mayor of Taipei. He has flip-flopped four times on this issue of whether he supports same-sex marriage. He initially said he supported it. Later, he said on the referendum issue, he opposed it. Then he said he abstained. And on fourth time, he started accusing this person of asking him who he supported of being a stooge for the DPP. So there are different values, whether they're talking about same-sex marriage, whether we're talking about uh, diversity, multiculturalism, and so forth, where the DPP does present a lot more of a consistent picture and a comprehensive picture. I mean, again, Cohen's has said misogynist things against women, dreadful things against women. He said dreadful things against uh, immigrant communities, minorities. I mean, it's, I would shudder to think that he represented Taiwan on the international stage. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the representation uh, and the running mate of the main candidate, um, I, 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 that announcement will be finalized, I presume, in, in the next is a couple of days or week. Uh, can you make any comment on uh, William Lai's running mate at this point? Well, I can say that it will be released soon. So uh, this week here in Taiwan, we're focused on um, the, how do you say, the at-large seats in the legislature. Um, the next week, on the week of the 20th, in fact, on the 20th itself, um, we will um, talk about and unveil the running mate. So final question then is, um, William Lai has said that he wants to build partnerships with democracies around the world. Um, what is William Lai's message to maybe smaller countries who might have great empathy for Taiwan, but who might also feel vulnerable to the economic coercion tactics of authoritarian regimes? What is the message to those countries? How can they work with you? How can they help Taiwan? Well, the message, I think, is quite clear, which is democracies are strong when we stand together. I mean, we see the inroach of authoritarianism everywhere in the world, whether it's in terms of Russia and Ukraine, whether it's in terms of China, whether in terms of the authoritarianism, far-right movements taking place in many countries around the world. I mean, um, all of these are danger signs for democracies, and democracies need to stand together, need to band together, need to respond together, and we're better off for it. So... Again, I mean, Ireland's a small country, um, Taiwan's a small country, um, but together we can do a lot. And I think that's precisely what we've seen over the past few years um, in terms of partnerships with democracies really yielding um, benefits, not only for Taiwan, but for stability around the world, here in the region. Uh, and the more we can do in that respect, I think the better off all of us will be.
That's Vincent Chow from Taiwan's Democratic Progressive Party. He is spokesperson for William Lai's campaign, as well as director of international affairs and a Taipei city councillor. My sincere thanks to Vincent for taking the time to chat with us during this very busy election season. We've also linked Vincent's recent article in The Diplomat in the Dive Deeper section of our blog. After our interview, on November 20th, William Lai officially named Xiao Bi Kim as his running mate for the 2024 election. Xiao has been Taiwan's representative to the United States, based in Washington, D.C., since 2020. She has brought great visibility to Taiwan in that role and has famously proclaimed in the past that she would combat China's aggressive wolf warrior diplomacy with her own brand of cat warrior diplomacy. At the time of recording, William Lai and Xiaobi Kim still lead in the polls. However, the gap between the DPP and KMT is closing, following the failure of the pan-blue alliance with the TPP and the dropping out of Foxconn founder Terry Guo. We've linked Courtney Donovan-Smith's latest analysis in Taiwan News, as well as additional reference material on our blog site at pwnilo.com if you'd like to dive deeper. But that's where we leave it for now. Don't forget to join us for the next episode in this series when we'll focus on the opposition party candidate Ho Yo Yi from the KMT. In the meantime, feel free to share, like and follow us on your favorite social media platform. And as always, thank you for listening. Zai Chen. <laughs>